All right, Kyle, you get to dedicate it. So um, why don't you bring the microphone a little bit closer to you? So um, what would you like to dedicate this episode to? I would probably dedicate it. Well, first of all, I got to dedicate it to my cats, Goku and Spike. I mean, they're my inspiration in, in, you know, pets and love and attention. Yeah, so I got two of them. One. Yep. Okay. And then uh, to my wife, Jamie, uh, she is my number one supporter. She's getting better and better at each day at actually providing criticism and not just saying everything you do is amazing. I love you. <laughs> um, so, you know, I got to dedicate it to them because they're the ones who stand by me and have been my biggest supporters from day one. Significant others are a little bit weary when they say, that's great. It's kind of... Yeah, I've, I've purposely written a few terrible things just to see what she says. Uh, and I'll tell you right now, she's not, she'd not catch it. So. <laughs> All right, thank you. All right, we're back with Kyle Gothi. That's how we're going to go with it, right? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Uh, mine's my, I got a, an exotic last name too. It's Palatichuk. Oh, you suppose It'd be nice if they changed the O to where the A is and A to the O, then everybody will. But it's yeah. Palatichuk. Yeah, but it's just weird. I have an exotic last it's name. It's like, hey, it's Nick P here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, let's get it out there. You have a film blog. I do, yeah. Uh, goatfilmreviews.com. Goatfilmreviews.com. Okay. We'll put the link on the information box. Oh, definitely, yeah. Please visit because you got it. And a huge amount of archive. Reviews. Yeah, uh, we actually just celebrated our 800th post, um, which was Whoa. is huge. Um, and, and just the amount of views that the strangest reviews have gotten on there. My most viewed review is the turbocharged prelude to Too Fast, Too Furious. I wrote it on a Sunday uh, afternoon, a little short film with Paul yeah. Walker. It's just things like that, like the, the kinds of film community uh, fandom that you just find out there. There's, you know? there's something like that people will latch on to. Yeah. You don't, can't really explain it, right? Yeah. yeah. I still can't explain why people love reading my Leprechaun review with Warwick Davis. Like, I, I don't understand it and I'll never get past it, so... <laughs> it's kind of like Brian De Palma. Why do you guys like The Fury? Yeah, it's not my best movie. Yeah, <laughs> we love it. Why? I, I I went through the motions with it. Why do you like the movie? Yeah, <laughs> this is me on a good day. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and you do up to date. So it's, it's like current movies as well as classical. Yeah. So uh, you know, it started out honestly. The whole thing started because my wife just got tired of listening to me talk about movies. Really, this how this is how the show started too. Yeah. So and so you know, one day she said to me, "You got to start writing this down." Like, I, I can't do this. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, it's it's a fair thing. You know, she's a pharmacist and she talks pharmacy a lot. And sometimes I, I got to tell her you should start a pharmacy blog. Wow, she's <laughs> a licensed drug dealer. Yes, she is. <laughs> yep. I mean, how else would you marry me? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Which is nice because I, I, don't, I, th I think writers just like, hey, something's going to knock them out. And they just write something simple solution. But you can actually talk to your wife what was something that were really like yeah, she's been fantastic when it comes to health related questions um you know I, i've been working on a novella that has to do with grief uh, a character has cancer in it and uh, you know i haven't had a whole lot of experience with people who've had cancer um in my life so 
going to her with these kinds of questions about, you know, just the things that you go through as a family, the way that you change and evolve during that. Like she's got this experience from having read up on it, studied it, yeah. spoken to people. Um, so just, you know, all, all sorts of things that you learn from a, a health person who wants to actually study that. And I just want to write it down. Yeah, so not only do you do film reviews and you have mm -hmm. the blog, but you also done screenwriting as well. I have. Uh, I wrote a, f the, the last thing that I've written that is on its way to getting out there is a screenplay for a film called Fragmented, um, which Fragmented. I believe is like. I just want to catch that right. Fragmented, yeah. Right, right. uh, and it's uh, a screenplay. The whole conceit idea of it is that we have about uh, nine or ten sections of the film, and they're almost like short little films. Each one is done in a single camera take. Okay. Uh, okay. So they're, they're kind of lengthy scenes that are all done without cutting. Uh, and, you know, characters kind of interspersed through each other's world, all taking place on the same day. Nice. So nice. that was the whole idea behind it. You know, I was, I was kind of hired on for this idea and then just basically told to run with it. Um, it's a wonderful premise because uh, I think it's, it came out a couple, about five years ago, Holy Motors. Yeah which is kind of the same person. He gets hired to do different roles in a mm -hmm. day and his whole livelihood is in a limousine. Oh yeah. Which you, in it's, the beginning of the movie, he, he looks like a rich guy walking a limousine, mm -hmm. but it's just, it's a role he's doing. Yeah. And I, I love, I love films that kind of, that you can enjoy on one view, but then if you want to take another stab at it, yeah. you get to unlock some more. And so this whole film is set like throughout one day, um, and as the film progresses, it jumps around in time. So you're getting pieces of the puzzle um, and being able to go back and revisit it and kind of see how different characters have uh, pushed the narrative in different ways. Yeah, is, I like is the, really the, the exploration of let's splice it up a little bit. Let's not yeah, because originally we, I, I wrote it uh, chronologically. Okay. I thought this is probably the easiest way for me to keep track of where everyone is, is write it chronologically. Yeah. And then it's almost like you just cut the screenplay into a bunch of sections and throw them in the air and see how they land. Uh, we'll get a little bit talk about a little bit movies, and I just want to talk about your, just a little bit like because I like to talk about writing. Oh yeah, writers and your fascinating is because you're a day writer. Mm -hmm. I, I've never really met a day writer, so I I have just kind of gotten out of the world of management and retail in the okay. past year, uh, and I was a manager for about seven years. And what you learn when you're doing management is you learn routines and you learn like this is how my day is going to go. Yeah. And I found that if I stay up really late and write um, that I tend to just fall asleep at the computer and <laughs> and, you know, I tend to find excuses maybe not to that day. Whereas, you know, when I get up in the morning, I, I meditate, I go for a run and then I come back and I write. And I, I, I learned this from Stephen King, actually. Uh, he said that every morning he gets up, he goes into his office and he has a goal. And he doesn't leave that office until it's done. Yeah. And I find that that's probably the easiest way for me to, you know, kick myself in the rear and, and get Especially the work. Especially like when I was writing mine, I think walking, you know, I get an excuse, I got to walk my dogs. But it really is a, just, a, you know, tune out the world and just kind of where are you going to go with the story? Mm -hmm. Is the story driving itself? Where does it want to go and all that stuff? So you can process it as nobody's bothering you, really. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a nice it's a nice way to reflect. I got a lake right outside my home, you know, just maybe about a, a quarter mile down the road. Uh, and so I'll go and just take laps around the lake and just think about the story, think about what I want to do with it. Um, and, and kind of like, how do I solve the problems I created yesterday? Yeah. <laughs> From your background of writing, mm -hmm. when you critique movies, what's the first thing that pops? Is the is it the writing? Is it the direction? Is it what is it? Our feeling? It's it's kind of feeling. The the way I I structured this whole site was if I'm going to review a movie, I want to know what is the movie trying to be, 
and is it successful you know i'm not expecting every because i love horror films i don't expect every horror film to be a you know personal reflection on life um no i don't want that at all i want a horror film to thrill me excite me and to be fun and and if possible scare me um it's not easy anymore um if i go to a comedy i expect to laugh i expect to you know find joy um so i I try to see it in that way you know it's that expectation right yeah exactly you i want to be impressed and i want to see something new even though it's maybe something it's done before but i want to see something new that i've never seen before yeah Yeah. and so like even with fragmented uh as i was writing that my whole intention is to present a film that doesn't really take sides you know there's a lot of issues throughout the film but just show you characters show you what's going on and kind of allow you to kind of walk away with your own pre uh your own notions on like who do i side with in this argument you know, so that was where I stood with that film. But like, if I go see a movie, I don't want to say, well, Annabelle Comes Home is not the best movie that came out this year. Darn, it, it must be terrible then. No, but no. Annabelle Creation was great. Yeah, but you know, I saw Annabelle <laughs> yeah. Comes Home, for example, and I thought, you know what? It's trying to be a fun Night at the Museum style horror film yeah. that just kind of, you know, keeps you rollicking along on this like creepy adventure. It's successful in that. So that's, you know, for me, a strong film outing. Um, I think if you market a film like, let's say, uh, one of my my most disappointing films of the year was the Child's Play remake. Um, it got pretty good reviews, actually, but I walked out of it saying, I did not feel like this was worthy of the Child's Play mantle. I, I was bored. I didn't care for uh, you know the new Andy. I didn't care for the new Chucky, and that's hurtful because I love Mark Hamill. <laughs> yeah, right. he did a, I think... Right, Mark Hamill does a wonderful voiceover, but and the original one came out in '88. It mm-hmm. was a big deal. Oh, I, I adore. It was fascinating. I adore the the current Child's Play franchise because it's not done yet. No, um, and that's that's uh, maybe I, I walked into Child's Play with some preconceived idea of a betrayal because the main Child's Play franchise is still running. And, and the inspiration when we were kids in '80 was that Teddy Ruxpin doll. Oh yeah, because the Teddy Ruxpin doll it was frightening. It looked like a nice teddy bear. You mm-hmm. put a cassette tape in it. It said nice things to you. And somebody got well, we could turn this to war. <laughs> yeah, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night and Teddy's staring at you in a little rocking chair across the room. You're probably not feeling too good about yourself. And it's a it's a remake of a Twilight Zone episode of yeah. A, child having a doll in the in the child hates the father because the father is abusive mm. and it, you know it says nice things to the child but then the daddy i'm going to kill you oh yeah, yeah but <laughs> it's something and annabelle creation plays on that too a little Definitely. bit of an inanimate object can be taken over mm-hmm. can right? be a conduit for something darker more sinister but of yeah. course you got to know that when you make the doll you know you got to know like this doll is not a smiling happy-go-lucky doll right if anything yeah. is going to possess this thing it's not going to be a good person. <laughs> you, you remember in the movie uh, David Fincher's The Game? Mm-hmm. And remember when he come Michael Douglas comes home? There's a jester clown doll. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. And I always thought that that was a little bit like Chucky, a little bit play because it it doesn't look like invite. It looked creepy. Oh yeah. And you wonder why are you bringing this in the house? Yeah. Who's who's <laughs> coming in with this? Like, oh, you're not going to have nightmares, no. <laughs> but I think it played on. It's a nice level of that in the movie the game was he would be ashamed for having that out in front for people to see yeah and so he and put it in a house just because of his vanity he didn't want his neighbors to see that there's this creepy doll out in his mansion house so he brought it in oh yeah so it's a great step into the writing of it but yeah it's, mm-hmm. i think that dolls yeah if you can use it carefully oh yeah. yeah so that really like when it comes down to reviewing films it's it's all that for me like that's the biggest 
you know, portion of do I love a film or not. Um, I recall reviewing Birdemic like five years ago, and it was just for a fun little like piece about you know how, sometimes how terrible movies can can be joyful in the same in the same instance. I gave it a really low score. I, I gave it a one out of five, and I was like, it's not a good movie, but I absolutely adore it. <laughs> I watch Bird. I watch Birdemic every year. Uh, it's just it's a play on. Does it have something into it, right? Yeah. Sometimes movies can be really great that I just can't digest mm-hmm. or something that you can just, but something like a really bad movie, there is something to it that can, can be charming to watch yes. it. Yeah. You know, where there's this level of, oh, we're going to watch this. Oh, it's going to be so bad. I mean, is, isn't that why we, we play uh, uh, The Room? You know, yeah. in the Twin Cities here, we have The Room playing at least once a month. I, um, I got a thrill out of Bye Bye Man. It oh, was so bad. It's terrible. But it's so enjoyable to watch because you're you're screaming at the TV, why are you doing Yeah. And and for me, you know, like a film like The Bye Bye Man too. I it always great, it looked like it's going to be good, right? The start of the movie looked like, wow. Well, and I, I tr- in Doug Jones, I trust. I had, I love <laughs> yeah. Doug Jones, but yeah. you know, and he he can make a terrible film a little bit better just by his presence. You know, right. so the whole film I'm watching the Bye Bye Man, I'm like, just give me more Bye Bye Man. Like, can we just watch him go grocery shopping or something like where right. Doug Jones can just be out there in his costume, you it, know? Just on the, the writing part, because they have the... <laughs> you have the people don't live at the house complain to the, the tenant. Oh, yeah. But the house, you don't live there. You Why? have done nothing to earn this. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you complaining? You don't live, it's like... <laughs> It's like if I go complain to the people that live across the street about through their landlord about the living conditions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's kind of like you know complaining about a movie that you've never seen, right? <laughs> you know? Which happens frequently. Yeah, where someone will say, "Oh, I hate that." Did you actually watch it? Well, no, I oh. started it. <laughs> somebody put it on Twitter. Somebody complained. I don't like Adam Driver mm-hmm. as an actor. What? Have you seen any of his movies? Oh yeah. I mean, no. That's well, been the case with uh, uh, Robert Pattinson recently. You know, yeah. uh, uh, Pat Fleck. Uh, or, um, but when Robert Pattinson is is now you know the Batman, um, people are coming to say me like, well, I don't you know I don't want to see him be Batman. You know, he was in Twilight. Yeah, but have you seen Good Time? You know, have you seen any of these other amazing films that he's been a part of? Batman doesn't have to do the acting, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously the good actors play and it has to be the counterpart has to be the outrageous has to do with the lines and everything. Yeah. You can be an introverted Batman. You could just stand there and right and oh, I I believe your arms I believe and, that's happened before. Um <laughs> right, you just fold your arms and you can play scenery. Exactly. Being Batman doesn't I I, I don't want to say it you can't be talented actor doing it. It just doesn't require a lot. You just have to. There's a lot more elements that go into a character like right. that. And it, I think it's it's the chemistry with both his friends and his foes. Well, you know? Christian Bale said it. You put on the suit and nobody's laughing. Okay, all right. Nobody's, yeah. okay. <laughs> um, I was going to go back to my notes because uh, Robert Patterson just did a, a movie this year. Uh, what was it called? High, it High Life? High Life. Yeah. Did you see that one? I did not catch it yet. Um, I was really hoping to. I missed the screening for it, and I just uh, have been kind of like clamoring to see it again. It, it's it's one of those that it's, I think in this day and age, we, we want the immediate gratification. We want something to grab us in about five minutes mm-hmm. or 10 minutes, and it just doesn't do that. It takes its time. Um, really concentrated. It's an outer space movie, but yeah. I don't regard it as a sci-fi movie. But all these people are, are prisoners, and they're going to do an experiment, mm-hmm. pretty much guinea pigs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but it's a great premise and a great story. It's a little bit of Kubrick in it, a little bit. And of, it's a great trailer. That trailer just, in, yeah. in two minutes, I was like, I have to see this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so what's some other um, movies from 2019 that you've seen that 
obviously not going to your blogs that just really stick out to you so not really phenomenal but something like we say something that really pops out to you so this is one of those years where there hasn't been for me at least a definitive favorite movie yet okay you know there have been so many films that have come out this year that i've said oh that'll be in my top 10 you know it, it might have one thing that might keep it out of that top right um i have seen once upon a time in hollywood twice i'm hoping to take my wife for a third viewing um and i i absolutely adored once upon a time in hollywood i i thought it was so um well structured of a setup for so a film saturated in detail yeah it's it more of a love letter to old hollywood than most other films are a love letter to anything <laughs> i think somebody replied it. it's a love letter to a hollywood that never was yeah it's, it's you know you're like nostalgia it's all you know we always have that nostalgia and i think tarantino knows about nostalgia yeah that is something magical that we're erasing all the good parts right exactly or we're filling in all the good parts that ignore all the when i love that you know when i walked out of it the first time i said there's there's a lot to love about the film's ending there's one thing i didn't like about the film's ending that kind of just stayed with me and stuck with me he does and, it all the time with his endings so. yeah and i i started to realize i don't know if there's ever been a tarantino ending that i've loved on the <laughs> first viewing and then i think about it and i think about it and <laughs> Yeah, I was lucky with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I had someone ask me to go see it again, and I was like, absolutely. I want to go back to it right now. <laughs> um, I think he's somebody that loves details, um, mm -hmm. overall arc. I think he doesn't really concentrate on. Yeah. But the little details of navigating a scenes and everything, um, DiCaprio's meltdown in the trailer is probably fantastic. Incredible. Right. I bet there's like two hours of footage of him just losing yeah, his mind. Take 40, take 40. You still got it. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Somebody come in, reset, you know, let's let's rebuild everything he broke and, and uh, let's this, do it again. And this Leonardo playing kind of like almost like uh, Clint Eastwood's career. It, it failed yeah. to go to, go to Italy. I think um, he's... Kind of like Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds had a, a, a partnership with his uh, stunt guy that mm -hmm. people didn't really like the stunt guy, but Burt's always vouched for him and yeah. they lived together and all that stuff. And I think his character is actually is based on uh, Burt Reynolds. Like, yeah. I think that's kind of the the like initial idea. And I, I believe Burt Reynolds was going to be in the film uh, before he passed away. He yeah. was going to play the role that eventually so went So it's kind of like an emergence uh, of both, like Clint Eastwood kind yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. Like and there, there's a love for those those actors that maybe haven't had the best run their entire career. Oh, you know, the right. people that have had to come in and play the heavy on one episode of a TV show that's going to be forgotten. You know, the people who've had to struggle or go to another country and film films that maybe they don't want to be a part of, you yeah. know. And of course, we all know, like Steve McQueen. I think the homage to Steve McQueen is kind of like a little drop because he does oh, yeah. great escape. Mm -hmm. But Steve McQueen, I can't remember the guy who did play Steve McQueen, but he did a fantastic uh, Damian Lewis. Yes. Yeah, played Steve McQueen, who's, who's been just... out of the park. Yeah, he gets like one great scene. Yes. And or almost not even a full scene. He gets one great moment in the movie, right? And yeah. I I love Damian Lewis. Yeah. Uh, so seeing him just even pop up for a few seconds is, is just such a win for that film. So and um, Sharon Tate was in the what's what was guarded in the late sixties at these Matt Helm, uh, Deep Martin did these lazy films of this James Bond knockoffs. Yeah, and Sharon Tate was in the last one and played in sixty nine. But they were like four of them together, and it's kind of rejuvenate people's interest people kind of forgot about him mm -hmm. Dean Martin doing these late 60s kind of James Bond knockoff movies with Matt Helm and she was in it and the last one was in the summer of 69 so mm -hmm. it's kind of yeah homage of all the stuff that we maybe kind of forgot about in the 60s yeah I remember after my second viewing I, I walked out and I said I watched that movie this time like Sharon Tate watches the movie she's in in the film yeah. you know I just sat there and I just 
took it in. I wasn't worried about whether or not I liked it or didn't like it at that point because I'd already seen it once. Yeah. And again, like that's not one of those films. Like it's so much more fun on the second viewing. Yeah. What's some other ones that you really uh, popped out? Your so brain? yeah, kind of up there with uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is uh, The Farewell. I'd, I'd been hearing about The Farewell for months. Okay, we've had um, previous guest uh, Ruth uh, Moranis. She does her blog, Flix Chatter. Yeah. She put it definitely number one almost of this year. Yeah, it's it's a film that I can't really find a flaw with. Uh, it's it's such a wonderful it's a love letter to family. It's it's a love letter to the things that we will do for the people we care about. And it's I recall of, waiting all year to see it. No, I haven't <laughs> seen it, but it, it kind of danced on deceitfulness, right? It, yeah. It, but not in a well, diabolical way. Aquafina's character is, um, you know, she spent most of her life in America. But, uh, you know, in, in, in China, in the culture there, when they find out someone's going to pass away, yeah. sometimes it's kept, you know, it's kept to the family, kept away um, from the loved one. And so the whole idea about the film is that they, they're throwing a wedding and I'm not even really sure if this wedding is real or just fake to hide the fact that the family wants to go and say their goodbyes. Um, it's a manufacturer to get. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's uh, a family member who's like been with someone for a couple months and they're like, Oh, you're going to get married. Cause we need to get everyone back home, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't know. You know, that doesn't speak very well for that, uh, that wedding, but, uh, it, it's a wonderful little film. It doesn't really, you know, that that's the central story of it, but it doesn't really focus too heavily on it. It focuses on, focuses yeah. on these moments, you know, between these family members. And it's, it's just a beautiful, beautiful story. And simply, it's still prominent to you. It's probably up there, right? There. Oh, yeah. 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 It, again, like I, I use Letterboxd um, and I, I just have my top 10 just like rotating through a couple of these four <laughs> movies where like I'll wake up one day and I'll be like, you know, I think I like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood more. And then the next morning I'll get up and say, you know, I think I think Rocket Man. I think Rocket Man's my favorite movie of the year. And then the next day it switches to The Farewell and it just rotates through these four or five different films throughout the year. So. The fascinating thing about Rocket Man is it's very much a musical. Yeah, and it doesn't. It's of course biographical, but they didn't concentrate on just being biographical. They presented a very tight story of a musical. I think they wanted to be more of a musical movie than just let's do a biography. Absolutely, okay. uh, and I think that's where the separation comes between a music film and a musical is that, you know, I, I would say like a film like Bohemian Rhapsody from last year is a music film yeah, uh, where the, 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 new- the songs are there, but they're not really part of the, the character journey. They're actually taking place. Whereas yeah. in Rocket Man, it's, it's such a surreal and, you know, fanciful look at a larger than life human being. Um, and I, I like that, you know, coming out of it, I was look, doing some research on, on Elton John a bit more. And, you know, I, I learned that some of the f- songs that are featured in the film weren't written at the time that they were sang in the movie. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't write a book report on, or I wouldn't write a, you know, a, a, a biography of a Elton John. It's yeah. not that it's, it's a somewhat fictionalized version of a true story. Yeah. So I do like the beginning of it mm-hmm. because it, I think it's something like you're expecting Elton John, but just kind of a big wild spectacle mm-hmm. and it's very, well, it's very minimal, but it has him outrageous as always. Exactly, but it's a very yeah. minimal piece, and I think that shows a very it, visually and written very well of him walking down the corridor alone, mm-hmm. right? Outrageous and faint with his go, but he's alone. And then realizing where he's going, he's yeah. not he's not going on stage, and in that way, it's kind of an interesting um, follow up to like a Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody, you know, opens up. We're going to stage. Yes, you know, uh, Rocket Man opens up. 
we're going to therapy you know <laughs> we're going to talk about our feelings so um, another one i want to mention because you talk about musical musical is another one danny boyle's uh yesterday yesterday yes i i went to a, a press screening for that and i recall the trailers didn't really win me like i thought okay they seem interesting but more than anything danny boyle's name won won the film for me I, you know i wanted to see yeah. it because danny boyle directed it and i I can definitely see flaws with the film. And I wrote that in my review. I said, the film is completely imperfect. Right. There's some, some things where it's like, why does, why is this not cut? Yeah. Yeah. But then I also, uh, probably what, 70, 80% of the way through the film, I broke down crying, you know, in the theater, like, uh, you know, trying to like not ruin anybody else's experience, but I just had tears flooding. And I, you know, I realized that it was, you know, it's a story about two people that, that really love each other put into a really strange situation. And they're both, you know, it's, it's kind of that, uh, you know, Sam and Diane, Jim and Pam thing, where like they're just not able to find the right moment, yeah. you know, for them to work. Yeah, their lives have been running parallel. One, yeah, yeah, and the, mark. Yep. the the story arc is it's it's painful to watch near the end. You know, um, for for such a film that focuses on the Beatles, you know, you, you don't expect to be moved in that way, <laughs> <laughs> especially because it's 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 a silly it's a silly idea for a movie. Right, but I think yeah. it works really well, and and outside of a few little you know issues here and there, um, I, I just walked out and I was like, I got to tell people to see this, and it, it pains me that I don't think it did as well as, as it should have. But I think hopefully people will gravitate on the rental. And mm -hmm. I think it's much more could play out. I don't think a rental movie probably be get a better favoring. I think it's yeah. very much will be more enjoyable to watch in your living room than mm. the movie theater. Yeah, and I think I think part of that comes too like I'm sure there are other people that saw that trailer and and if they didn't know Danny Boyle's name um you know and they didn't recognize the lead then they're probably you know they're probably wondering, you know, is this for me? And so that's that's the kind of review that I love to write and tell people like you have to see this movie. Please go see this movie. Please support these films because so many people complain that there's nothing original out there, and, and then they don't go see Booksmart. You know, <laughs> right, <laughs> they don't right. go see Yesterday. You know, and then I did that last year. Go see Baby Driver. Mm -hmm. It's original. It's an original screenplay, not adapted from anything. Oh it's yeah, not a superhero movie. Yeah. yeah, and I'll be the first person to say, you know, I saw Endgame three times uh, in the theater, <laughs> but yeah, I tried to go see something else afterwards. I wasn't going to see it just to push it, you know, past that, you know, $2.7 billion mark, you know, right, yeah. um, you, you can love your franchise films, but don't forget that, uh, you know, you're not going to get those original voices that are, are bursting onto the scene if you don't support that. And, and, and for film fans everywhere, you, you got to go check out something that's different, you know? Um, definitely one that's kind of sticking in the top 10 for me, um, and I saw it in March, and it's still with me, is a small independent movie. I mentioned it when Ruth was on, uh, Standoff on Sparrow Creek. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I did not get a chance to catch that one. Um, um, I highly recommend it. It's, I remember listening to your episode, actually, and I was right. I wrote it down. I, I was like, this needs to be something that I got to catch. So um, Definitely, there's some, like like uh, yesterday, there's some things, well, why is that a necessary movie? Some things drag on a little bit longer than I thought, but it's a nice original premise and a very tight script. Mm -hmm. um, nice shot, very well. And obviously, when you do a small budget movie, they shot a warehouse, but the, well, they did the lightings and set design for mm -hmm. something that looked like that very well done especially yeah. for a small independent movie that didn't have very much of a budget well and that's that's kind of the people sometimes think that if you love a movie you can't find any flaws with it you know yeah, yeah but you know i i loved uh 
several films that I've seen this year, but I don't think there's been a film this year that I would come out saying it's the most perfect film that's ever been made. That's not how love works. You know, no, I, I love, I, I, I love Star Wars, but I'm going to tell you all day that there's problems with those prequels. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love the movie, the dark Knight. And I said, and the first time I saw it in theater and when it went out the window, I was like, the Joker's still up there. Nothing's resolved. And then yeah. they just cut it. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know. um, and I saw that's my first viewing. So, and I love the movie. Yeah. yeah. But it's just, I think if you're going to look for flaws, you're not going to enjoy it. Yep. Yeah. You know, and, and you can see them. It's, it's just a, it's a question of whether or not the flaw ruined the film experience for you. Yeah. You know, did you still walk out of it? You know, like I did with yesterday where I said, there's definite flaws, but I want to tell people to go see it. I edited my writer's workshop when I started writing and the gentleman, they, when you critique fiction, it's all about, is that logical to do? Mm-hmm. When you critique nonfiction, it's like, how is that possible? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And that's just the way it is. And of course, you critique fictional movies. Mm-hmm. You're trying. That's not. That doesn't seem plausible, logical. But mm-hmm. yeah. And then the others with nonfiction is like, how could that ever be? Exactly. <laughs> you know. Um, um, what's another one that popped into you that personally that you kind of one that I I really felt uh, conflicted by when when I left the theater was Us. Uh, I agree. That dropped back in February or March, and the more time I spent afterwards, the more time I started to. You know, see in the film like, yes, there again, there are flaws, but it didn't take away from my overall enjoyment of the film. It made no, me just want to go I, see I, it again. I, I, I watched it, and of course, we watched a lot of. I know what Jordan Peele's doing. It's a, yeah, it's a flip of the traditional horror movie, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and that's all he ever. That's all he ever wants is is to kind of take these ideas that we've seen before and, and flip, them. flip them on their head. Yeah. And with us. The token white people get yeah. massacred. I loved it. I, <laughs> you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, yeah they, they're probably, you know, they're not nice people. So you, you're trying to like, you know, come to terms with it. Yeah. Uh, with us, it's that I, I, I watched the film and I left it saying, I don't know if that movie made complete sense. And I sat on that for a while. I, I don't know if I understand. And, and, Sorry, viewers, but you're you're gonna have to watch the film to know because there's spoiler territory for the things that I, I didn't think make sense. At the same point, you know, I and I I had to go home and I had to watch YouTube videos of people talking about the film, and and the more I watched about it, I kind of like worked it through my head and I said, you know, some films you just have to, you just have to go in and if you try to pick them apart, you're not gonna have a good time, and I realized maybe I was you know being too harsh on the film, and I just need to go in and view it without saying if it's not the greatest film ever that's okay yeah. <laughs> you know i don't think it's stronger than get out but that's a high bar to set yourself at right and especially if you're if you want to be like m night Shyamalan, which you just want to keep outdoing yourself it's not you're not it's not stable you yeah just just make a movie to make a movie right? yeah yeah i think and i think jordan's got a stock full file full of ideas that he could just and, oh, definitely. I, I am so I think excited. He was supposed to do. I think he was supposed to direct Black Klansman, Jordan Peele. Yeah, I know he produced it, and it kind of came down to a thing. If I'm correct, I believe he said it's it's not a film that I can make successfully. Yeah. Um, and I think I think right Spike Lee was a great choice. Yeah. Uh, you know, we were talking about films we love from last year. Black Klansman is my favorite movie from last year. I definitely in my it was in a. When I, I do it like I don't like doing top tens because it's hard. I do a top twenty. It was it was. Oh yeah, yeah. I I 
remember the credits rolling for that film and i just sat there with my mouth agape and just like i always sit and watch most of the credits but i i sat there until the credits were done and there there was a guy that was coming in the theater to like pick up the trash and he looked at me he's like are, are you okay and i said i don't know <laughs> um but i had to you know i went out and got another ticket and i went back in and watched it again uh i can't wait to see what jordan peele does next that's what i'll say about him i, I know he's producing a new Candyman film right i can't yeah. wait to see what he comes up with for that and i i like almost that he's not he's not directing that one you know because right and if you look at Candyman now and i think it was like what 88 or 89 90 whatever late 80s early 90s i think it was yeah. 92 or something it's you know very, it looks dated it needs yeah. to be recharged mm -hmm. yeah. and i think it's a strong thing that he's not going in and having someone remake Candyman. right you know it, it seems to me like this is going to be an in-universe sequel kind of a reboot where you don't have to have seen the previous films but there's nothing really wrong you know, with Candyman 2 yeah I mean it's down in New Orleans whatever I think it's Farewell to the Flesh Carnival whatever yeah but I've often said with franchise filmmaking you don't need to you don't need to uh, delete every sequel that exists yeah. you just you just gotta find a way to you know either ignore them or find a way to move past them you know because not every sequel is good All right, uh, right. we'll admit to that right now <laughs> alright um, we're gonna take a little break and uh, when we come back, I'm going to uh, talk to Kyle about uh, what he thinks about the Joker. Oh. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I just want to let you know that I will be at LionCon this year up at Sartell Community Center. I will be there promoting my comic book, The Green Way, a murder mystery noir, pulp noir. And I'll be there promoting the podcast. Uh, definitely come see me. It's September 21st and 22nd. Um, I provide the website uh, in the information box to let you know how to visit. I hope to see you there at LionCon this year. Hey, Jay, we got to do a promo for Super Movie Brothers because the promo we had was so old, it's time to do a little bit of an update. So we got to tell everybody what this show's about so they can decide whether they want to listen to it or not. Do we really? Yeah, we have to. All right. It plays on the Podfix Network on other shows. And, you know, we, we kinda, like those guys. We, we do like those guys. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the old promo sounds like shit. So let's give them. I a still new like one. it. <laughs> Super Movie Brothers is a podcast that is about two guys who just love movies. But unfortunately, we have two completely varying points of view. We and do varying tastes on movies, so we we like to discuss film from two completely different points of view. But we also drink beer, have a lot of fun doing it, and then we also assign each other movie homework assignments. Each of those assignments is from each of our wheelhouse. So Jay is more of the art house indie type guy. Yes. Meanwhile, I am more of the action cult film horror type genre. But there are times where we do agree on things, and times where we really don't. So it's a lot Absolutely. of absolutely. It's a lot of fun to listen to make sure that you're checking it out we are available on itunes stitcher podbean and also on spotify make sure you search super movie bros on any one of those and of course we are part of the podfix network so make sure you're going over to www.podfixnetwork.com and checking it out cheers Alright, we're back with Kyle. Um, 
Joker, which I think, and this is why I'm going to really love it. And I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to ask you about it for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Todd Phillips is the director. He's also a little bit the writer. He's good friends with Judge Epitoe and Adam Sandler. They all came mm-hmm. together. I'm sure they love the 80s comedies and all that stuff. And they got familiar with uh, Martin Scorsese. And this is kind of almost an homage of both superheroes and Martin Scorsese films. If you can yeah. kind of dive into it. It looks like it's a emergence of like Travis pickle uh, in yeah definitely I, I got King some of vibes comedy. of taxi driver uh i did yeah. yeah um what i think is great about a film like joker is that it's an elseworld thing you know it, it's not we're not hoping to build a, a cinematic universe with joker and in fact oh. i actually i really hope that there's no sequel i hope this is one like you know this film has a beginning middle and end and it just has and that's it and you can right. walk away um love it or hate it and i it what's interesting to me is the film had uh it's uh, i believe venice premiere just a night or two ago and it's it's getting some like wildly uh wonderful reviews but people are also saying that the film is almost dangerous in a way you know that it, it's got this real harsh look at the world well i think it, with the joker it's he's the funniest person in his mind mm-hmm. nobody's every i am the funniest nobody else is mm-hmm. just like uh robert de niro was in king of comedy mark so says his film where he thought he was you know robert de niro thought he was the funniest person ever I just need my one big break, and I'll go on Jerry Lewis's. Well, he's not really called Jerry Lewis, mm-hmm. even though he's playing himself. Really. He's playing himself in that. <laughs> but it's it's, and I think we. It looks like in the, I haven't seen it, but it looks like in the trailer we're doing a little bit of him going out on uh, Jerry Lewis's show, and it was that's also in the uh, Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, I was gonna say, him. doesn't he? Yeah, he walks in and he does some horrible things. So I don't know if they're an homage to that as well. Definitely a lot of homages. Yeah, and what I. One thing I actually like about the direction they're taking this film is Todd Phillips came out and said that this is not based on any one version of the Joker. This is not the killing joke. This is not um, any version of the Joker you've seen in comic books. So I, he, it's almost like he's prefacing that, you know, saying like, don't walk out of this movie and say, well, it's not my Joker. You know, right. this is a new take. And I like that a character like the Joker can have a different backstory almost every time we meet him. Well, you know, we talked about it in, a, um, in our Dark Knight episode, but it's a, it's a story that even uh, uh, DC Comics editor Dennis Neal, um, who wrote an essay, a long essay about his idea of Joker, mm-hmm. um, is somebody you don't you cannot trust his narrative. Yeah ever it it makes him the perfect antithesis to batman you know batman is a symbol the joker is a symbol as well uh and i think that's where i'm really excited to see what this version of the story is yeah i I don't want to see the same version of this character done more leading up to is even if you get a narrative from the story you can't trust it that it's authentic yeah yeah that's maybe a question to go into the film with is are are we seeing what's actually taking place or are we seeing his version of events you know in his essay he talked about how the joker i always write as somebody who actually not only killed his past doesn't want to remember it Mm -hmm. and maybe he can't or doesn't or doesn't want to but he has no past he's all about because he doesn't to him it's no consequences i don't have anything i don't have a family i don't have nothing Mm -hmm. i don't even think he has a mom yeah (laughs) that he can do wild things Mm -hmm. and feel free from it he's actually the most liberated person right he has he can freedom he doesn't think that anything he does is bad yeah it's just hilarious Mm -hmm. (laughs) i guess every joke is funny to somebody (laughs) right right yeah which i think this is you're talking about it's more of a dc i think this is more of a martin Scorsese kind of a film he's actually the producer of it yeah uh i I think it's his producing partner that uh really had had most of a hand in in the film like i think he 
was initially a part of it, but you know, he's got a lot going on right now himself. Uh, Martin Scorsese. Right, so I'm sorry to interrupt you. Well, that's okay. If, if I remember right, Robert Dino was actually playing the, uh, I think like a TV host. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, like, I mean, that's how it looks at least from the, the one trailer I've seen. I try to avoid trailers for films. If I already decided I'm going to see the movie, Yeah, you know? Right. So, uh, with this trailer, uh, the first one I saw when I saw Robert De Niro kind of pop out there, I was like, Oh, this, this is going to be, this is going to be something special. You know, I don't think the character he's playing in the film is going to be a big character. And I like right. that you get these big names that are willing to come in and contribute. Uh, the special thing about doing, you know, doing a film like Joker and again, doing it your own way is there's almost no way to really, there's no, almost no way to really like make everyone happy. So you can just go make your movie. Yeah, just go do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, coming up, uh, it chapter two, it, chapter two. I'm hoping to see an early, uh, screening on Wednesday for it. Okay. I'm, I'm trying to put together my day and hopefully make it to that. But, uh, it chapter two, I, I am a gigantic Stephen King fan. I, I have every single one of his books. I've been reading them all chronologically because he's one of those, one of the first people to really do a universe right, in his work. There's people from Ad People that are in. Yeah, uh, and I, th I think it's, it's wonderful. And I think yeah. every time you get that moment, you, you're like, oh, this is for me. This is something special for me. Uh, and It is one of those books. I think I took two years to read it okay. because I just didn't want it to end. I was on page like 200 and I was like, oh gosh, there's only 900 pages left. You know? Uh, <laughs> and I, I love... You, were you were... When, in 85, when that book came out, you couldn't get away from it. it was oh, yeah. In, it was in bookstores. They, I mean, he had billboards, mm -hmm. like, everywhere. It was a monster sell for I recall. I recall seeing, so I was I was kind of like the post-miniseries, like, fascination with it. When that when that Tim Curry yeah. version of It dropped, I recall seeing the uh, VHS box art in the rental stores. Sure. And, and every time I walked by it going, I'm not ready for it. <laughs> Like I'm, I'm not ready to have this yet, uh, and and that's something for a, a kid who who you know was watching horror films at age four, like to walk by that box art and be just haunted by the box art, yeah. um, and finally getting a chance to see that version of it and then moving on to the book. And I thought, uh, well, I didn't think this version of it, the 2017 film, I didn't find it very scary, but I loved how they played with the mythology. I think it's a great idea to do it as two films. Uh, right, because there's so much. Mm -hmm. And the, the problem that you have with it, though, is the best parts of the book are the kids. And so how do you tackle the adult versions of, of these characters and do it in a way that's satisfying? So I've almost set myself up for a fact that saying I, I, I loved this first film. I'm going into it thinking it, it, it can't possibly be better than that first one. Yeah. Uh, why are we getting two movies featuring clowns as horror movies coming at <laughs> almost the same time? <laughs> You know, here's the thing, though. Clowns, I don't understand the fear of clowns, uh, but clowns make great villains. Clowns it's, make it's terrifying. The it's the yeah. juxtaposition, right? And and not even that, but, you know, you get, uh, um, is it Terrifier that uh, uh, also has a, like, creepy clown character to it? I remember there's a film called Stitches from a couple years ago about a clown that accidentally dies at a kid's birthday party yeah. and then he spawns, comes back and spawns. hunts people down. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, it just popped into Spawn's <laughs> arch rival as a clown. Yeah, I think, um, you know, clowns make great villains because they're not supposed to be bad people. 
yeah you know they're supposed to be the people you can trust and now it's almost to the point where you can't you right, know yeah. <laughs> another point i was going to try to make uh, i forgot but going back to the joker i just want to make it a little quick mm -hmm. uh jerry robinson is credited for creating the joker for batman mm -hmm. uh he got the idea not just play with a deck of cards or whatever and got the idea what he got the idea was from a 1928 movie called the man who laughs where yes. Conrad uh, Conrad Veet had a permanent smile on his face, very German expressionistic kind of a movie that he goes through all these trials and tribulations of life, and he can't. He just smiles, even though like his wife dies. Well, he can't show remorse. He just has a permanent fixture, and Jerry Robinson used that as a fulcrum to uh, Batman to counter that. that. Batman's always got a frown on. Well, mm -hmm. he, let's counter that with somebody who's always got a smile on. So. Mm -hmm. um, it's almost like a recycling that yeah <laughs> it came from an inspiration from a movie to a comic book villain now it's back to it being a movie again <laughs> right. and i i can see a lot of that in uh tim burton's version of the joker you know he's so focused on this like oh yeah. gas that makes you permanently smile like you can see there there's that special love for for horror that comes out when tim burton steps Especially behind the camera for old, batman that old fritz lane German expression films like Cabinet of Dr. Caligari mm -hmm. that came out and never scissor hands and all that stuff. So yeah, and even Gotham City looks like it's a German expression. Yeah, movie. you know, and that's that's what influenced yeah. that uh, animated series. You know, at the same time was what really pushed like yeah. this gothic look, this expressionism look. You know. Yeah. So, does uh, there any other movies that you're looking forward to? I do have one I'm looking forward to. If uh, you know, I'd I'd be lying if I if I you know, didn't say Star Wars, the rise of Skywalker, you know, I, right. Star Wars was one of those first experiences for me where I realized that a film can be something magical, something you know, where it, it can be movie, something, right? yeah, something that can, uh, you can fall in love with things that are not real. I'm sorry. Star Wars is not a real thing, but, uh, <laughs> right. but you can fall in love with these strange characters. And if the, I ever meet know, Harrison Ford, it'd be awkward. What are you telling me? Never been in space. Yeah. <laughs> Next thing you'll be saying, you don't carry around a whip either. Like, right, right, come on, right. man. <laughs> it, 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 it went beyond just being a movie, right? Mm -hmm. It was almost like people's language. All you had to do was uh, yeah. make, it, just scream out, may the force be with you. And then all of a sudden you got more friends. Yeah. I, it's probably the first film related holiday I've ever celebrated is May the 4th. Um, you know, I watch my Star Wars films every year. Uh, my wife comes home and she's like, oh, it's May 4th. And I'm like, yeah, we're on episode four. Let's keep going. Yeah. Um, I'm very excited for the rise of Skywalker. I, when Disney made this whole purchase, I tempered my expectations. But I've always said with franchise stuff, I'm willing to forgive if, if I love the franchise enough, I'm willing to forgive some of the problems. Just don't be the worst installment. You know, yeah. I, I've often said that Phantom Menace for me is one that I think it's a fine movie, but I don't, it's not, it's not very, um, it's not very good overall, but I think it's fine enough for me. Uh, but I just want every film that comes out for Star Wars to be better than the Phantom Menace. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. I, I, it was, it's still hard to calculate how massive the second one when it came out, how important it was in mm. 1980. That was a big deal. Yeah, and yeah. and I, I still think it's the best Star Wars film. Empire is, is it's right. the film where, where they take all your dreams and break them. <laughs> well, I think it's because it has a, George Lucas loves spectacle. Mm -hmm. I think he loves spectacle more than just writing a story. That's why the story's gonna fall. But the second one where Erwin did a little bit of the, and Lawrence Kasdan did a little bit of the script. It's actually a love story. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, it's yeah, it's again, it's, you know, everybody wins and the story is tied up nicely at the end of A New Hope. You know, if there was no other Star Wars film after A New Hope, yeah. that'd everybody, be fine. 
That's you know, sequels. I think people, especially writing sequels, is when the good guys get the punch in the doles. Yeah, you know, and and they have to. Right. If if they win every single battle, then what's the point? You know, one of the things I really like about John Wick is it's almost like no fight that he walks away from completely unscathed. Right. That man gets just beat to heck for three movies. <laughs> but it's because he gets hurt that we want to see him not get hurt. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So Rise of Skywalker for me is very exciting. I like that J.J. Uh, Abrams, who's coming back to direct, is okay. seeing it as the end of not just a trilogy, but the end of a nine film story. There's something really kind of cool about that, uh, that hopefully I'm we, hoping that we can walk out of it at the end and say, well, that was a good story. Hopefully you we know? got some questions that answered of some some yeah there, he's got a lot of work to do with this one just because there's a lot of setup in especially the previous two saga installments you know the force awakens and the last jedi i, I thought both were fantastic movies but there's a lot of setup that they've got to do the heavy lifting now and actually you know bring them to conclusion in a you know enjoyable way uh previous star wars was directed by ryan johnson he mm -hmm. has a new movie coming out uh, coming up knives out knives out yes i'm looking kind of looking forward i think it's a little play stuff i like i like murder mysteries mm -hmm. you know the old english home and somebody gets murdered and then we gotta narrow down the suspects it's a classic yep. like agatha christie's mousetrap um definitely kind of an all-star cast in it yeah i mean this is one of those uh films that proves that i think the director is becoming the bigger name in in hollywood than the actor you know like we're losing our you know tom cruise stars in you know i think the last uh the last actor who puts his name on a movie now is dwayne johnson you know where it's like dwayne johnson's new movie i think we're getting to a place where the director is going to be the star of the film like they're you know we see that already with certain directors quentin tarantino sells yeah. his movies on name alone christopher nolan uh released a tra a teaser for his new film tenet and it's about 25 seconds long and people in my screening were cheering for that movie and there's no plot in that 25 seconds but it just <laughs> says christopher nolan's new movie yeah so ryan johnson is one of those guys i think you know actors and actresses love to work with a unique director and he's a very unique director and he's gonna get those big names and i think he's gonna i think he's gonna knock knives out of, out of the park brick is one of the inspirations for my book oh okay Have you ever seen brick yeah wonderful um it's supposed to be high school kids but it's their college age but yeah. it's a it's a this maltese falcon in high school mm -hmm. of you know of dorson gold it i thought was phenomenal in the movie if you haven't seen it don't know what i'm talking about ryan johnson's breakout movie brick mm -hmm. i actually loved it the dialogue was heavy it played a part of a very noir yeah it's a very noir film that doesn't look like a noir film exactly. a lot uh and yeah. and joseph gordon levitt i love when an actor doesn't mind that he's unrecognizable and i Very i went I, I went several years with brick where i had no idea that was him <laughs> um <laughs> and and it wasn't until someone forced me to watch the movie because I, I didn't feel like it it didn't look like a movie that i was going to be into and someone forced me to watch it and i i remember finishing it and turning and saying was that Joseph Gordon-Levitt? Like, was that him? Yeah. yeah. Well, and he plays that character that can be very much wounded, mm -hmm. but he's very strong. But he's very vulnerable, but he's very tough. Yeah. He can very well-written character. I loved all, oh, well, all the characters in there. It's kind of, yeah. the guy who thinks he's a tough guy, but he's not really yeah. <laughs> a tough guy. Yeah, it's definitely quite a move from Third Rock from the Sun uh, for Joseph Gordon-Levitt, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, think it's, I think that is probably the most important film of his career. To this point that's Brick. the one that that told people he's he's not just uh you know a handsome fella he's he's got layers to him 
Um, we're getting to it. Uh, Martin Scorsese not only producing Joker, but he's coming out with a new movie, The Irishman. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I think that uh, partners up again, uh, De Niro and Pacino. So he he's never worked with Pacino, uh, Scorsese. I think that was the big thing was that he's never worked with Pacino, right? And that right. he it's, hasn't there there hasn't been a, a a film that's united these three titans. You know, De Niro, Pacino, and Pesci, who's who's been uh, yeah. retired for over a decade. I, I don't think I've seen him doing anything since The Good Shepherd um, several years back. Yeah, and so it's amazing to me that you know. You know, you see something like, you know, Al Pacino and Scorsese and you're like, well, they have to have made like five movies together, right? Right. You know, it's almost the same thing when Al Pacino appeared in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood with Tarantino. And I had to think about it and say, haven't they done something together? No, no, they haven't. (laughs) Um, So like The Irishman, that alone is worth the price of admission. Thankfully, it's on Netflix. Um, Yeah, three and a half hours. Yeah. Uh, And I recall reading there's, there's apparently some backlash about that you know people are people are mad that endgame was three hours now they're mad that irishman is three and a half and to that i would say the film is as long as it needs to be we don't know if three and a half hours is too long until we watch the movie sure uh number two it's hitting netflix so if you're a binge watcher pretend that it's four episodes of something you know take a break (laughs) use the bathroom and come back uh and maybe this is just an argument to bring back intermission you know <laughs> i i love films that have like a, an intermission last movie i went to see that actually had an intermission it was uh 90 i think it was like 94 gettysburg okay that really did it was a new release and it did have intermission to it that's probably the last yeah that's probably the last wide release that i can think of i i know i went to the road show for the hateful eight um which had a you know like a program that was given out and there was an extra like 10 15 minutes of footage yeah the film was the film was already long and it's theatrical cut but this is one where yeah about an hour and a half in they they put the film intermission everyone got up and stretched and we all talked about the movie you know like the wow this first hour 45 was crazy um you know it went on intermission like right during this confrontation between bruce stern and samuel jackson and then after that confrontation we hit an intermission and wow what a way to like if that had been the movie itself right i'd have been like Oh, interesting, you know. But the fact that we still haven't solved our our case in point mystery um, is is I really love that intermission feeling, you know, being able to talk about the movie. And maybe that would keep people quiet when the movie is going on. <laughs> is they they know that hey, there's a there's a moment where I can pause and say I can't believe he's the bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we talked about uh, Crypticons coming up, and you're for, you'd like to go to Crypticon, mm-hmm. uh, and I mentioned it to somebody else, but. Uh, um, because at Crypticon, Doug Bradley's going to be there. And, yes. Um, um, I'm forgetting her name. Uh, Ashley Lawrence is going to be yes. at the Minnesota Crypticon. And um, I think the, I can't remember the guy who played this to her stepfather in Hellraiser. Yeah. Uh, he, they're all three going to be there. Mm-hmm. But the big news, and it came out a couple of months ago, that Hellraiser sold, Liongate sold the film rights. So they're going to do a new one. Yeah, I actually, I just heard about that yesterday oh, you for, the, for the first time and i think it was just something i i never expected to hear it because they've been making these not great hellraiser sequels just to me for years to keep the rights and yeah. i didn't even get a chance to catch the one it was the first one that uh, doug bradley had not done and it's because i i can't find a copy of it really like it looks like a youtube video yeah yeah i, I i've it. seen the the trailer for it and it's almost like they 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 put it out to bury it to keep the rights to make another one. And I think there was a new installment either late last year, early yeah, they, this year. They treat it like Roger Corman's Fantastic Four. Yeah. It was all a little bit, if you caught it, and then... They're like, hurt. we don't talk about that. And most people are like, we don't want to talk about that. Um, so I'm, I'm really happy that that there's a chance that this 
franchise could be picked up by someone who's willing to do it justice. I think they are, and I think they really. I think Clive Barker's back on board. Okay, because I know he was producing a, or you know, really like heavily involved in a potential re- remake several years ago. Yeah, um, which I wouldn't mind. I, I don't think they have to do a remake because I think the first film really stands up still. Yeah, I think in fact I, I believe as far as horror franchises go, I think the first four films really stand up. And after the fourth one is when Clive Barker stepped away and he yeah. stopped working on them. And that you can see then that they're just taking other horror films and adding six minutes of Pinhead and then releasing it as a sequel. I think that's how the fifth movie on were. It was that they, they took other horror screenplays and just let's oh, add God, five they, pages they of Pinhead. They in outer space for God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, you know when you just, I stand yeah. by Bloodline though, I, which is the outer space one. I stand by that film as it's not good. But it at least it holds on to, sh- yeah. it adds a lot to the mythology, which, you know, love it or hate it. It adds a lot yeah. to the mythology and it doesn't really betray what the, you know, what, what the story's been about to this I point. I, you just say it out loud to yourself. It's Hellraiser in Outer Space. Right? Exactly. Oh, God. It's, oh, it's, but. but it's probably one of the better, let's take this scary person and put them in space movies. You know, if you yeah, compare it to like a thing a like Jason, Jason X yeah, yeah. Uh, is making fun of itself for the entire film. Um, Leprechaun Four, <laughs> I, it's it's unwatchable. Uh, I I can't stand Leprechaun Four, <laughs> but you know you get you get Hellraiser in space. If if you believe that you know demons come out of a box and 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 yeah. kill you, you can believe that they're in space. I guess <laughs> there's an inter- definitely the internet's full of rumors, but the, if they redo Hellraiser, there's an idea of really doing the authentic in the Clyde Barker's book of uh, Pinhead being what really is in the book is a dramatist it's well it looks like masculine and feminine at the same time which yeah. is why pinhead wears a skirt it, it in the book it's supposed to you can't identify if it's a male or female and yeah I think they want to play on about that a little bit and that, that's what's interesting is you know as, as i said before I, I heard about this news yesterday okay. and then i thought to myself you know i actually have a copy of the hellbound heart that i have not read yet and so i went upstairs yesterday i grabbed it and i read chapter one and you that was the me. thing that came out to me in chapter one was um you know that you can't really tell if this cenobite is male or female yeah and it's it's you know and it's not it's not an important detail i mean it's very much not an important detail that he like wonders about it for a second and then moves on but it's interesting to me that clyde barker was so involved in this in this franchise at least at the the very beginning he directed the first film yeah it's interesting to see like the choices he made that have differed so far just in the first couple pages that i've read um, so it, it makes me really want to finish the book. I, I, I know about the book. It's it's very short, right? Yeah, 160 pages or so. It's, it's almost like a novella, but it's yeah. very quick. But it, it um, how it spanned how many movies? Yeah, there's something to <laughs> it, right? Yeah. Um, Lord of Illusions. Uh, Lord of Illusions is one that. So it's funny. I've not seen Lord of Illusions. Really, but I have. I have a problem. I'm a movie collector almost yeah. more than I'm a movie watcher. Um, which is so kind of staggering. You have a copy. I have a copy. I have over 4,000 movies. Okay. Um, so it's in there. It's in there. <laughs> uh, and I have what, you know, we joke at home, we call it the stack, which is the stack of movies we have that we haven't watched yet. Okay. Lord of Illusions is in there. And probably during, look, maybe, you know, maybe during the month of October, it'll come back out. I know on my site, uh, every single year since I started this site, I have written 31 days of horror. And it's October 1st, the 31st. Oh, Every man. day I do a different horror film. I would strongly put it as one of them. Maybe, yeah, I gotta, I gotta it, add that to the list. Maybe it'll be day one. Maybe I'll convince my wife to watch it tonight. And we'll the fascinating it thing about, and talk about Lord Illusions, is because it's the first thing Scott Bakula did after Quantum Leap got canceled. So he's very So this much, is where his character ended up. 
It's a sequel to Quantum Leap. Because everybody's so used to Quantum Leap, this nice, wholesome person. Mm-hmm. Everybody is a family, you know, a little bit of a family-friendly show, and everybody's wholesome. Yeah. And he does this Clive Barker movie. Like, that That is right? interesting, you know? And yeah. I think that's... To this day, he's almost he's still known as that. You know, I've seen a uh, you know a number of different uh, performances from him. I really liked his turn. He was on the the television series Chuck. Um, Scott. He, yeah, he played yeah. Uh, the main character Chuck's father, yeah. who was heavily involved in the, in you know like the mythology of the show. Really great arc. Um, and he even he did a guest appearance on It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and that's probably the most R rated I've seen Scott Bakula. <laughs> uh, but then again, I haven't seen Lord of Illusions. He's, so. <laughs> he's got to play Dracula eventually, just so I can say. Scott Bakula as Scott Bakula Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Kyle. That's I mean that's it. That's the show, man. Thanks for coming. Yeah, no, I had fun. Um, and then you you do thirty one reviews on your you're just mentioned it a little bit. Yeah, that's it's probably the most disciplined I've ever been with writing reviews. Is that in in October coming up? Um, and I'm going to start doing my research for today because we we don't wait until October to watch scary movies. We wait until September. Okay. Um, so yeah, thirty one days of horror films. Are you kind of those that here? just looks out your window and as soon as one leaf hits the ground? All right, it's fall. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't ever really stop watching horror movies, but I definitely I I like fall into it. Like September 1st, I was telling my wife this morning, I said, I can't wait till tonight because we get to watch scary movies. And she goes, how's that different from any other time? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's coming up. Look for that October 1st. Um, we're going to start that up again. This will be year six of 31 Days of Horror. And then every day people come go look at your blog and your reviews. Definitely, yeah. I've got uh, plenty of reviews that have been hitting over the past uh, month or two. I've, I've really kind of owned in on seeing a lot more films. I, I'm closing in on my 100th film of 2019, right. which uh, is staggering. And uh, they're not all perfect, but uh, that's why we love them. All right, Kyle. Thanks for coming on. Thank uh, you for definitely having me. Definitely have to do this again. Oh, this definitely. Is, this, is so, this is too much fun. Um, it's not over till the guest says it's over. Oh, gosh, does it have to be? Um, okay, well, I'll tell you what. It's over for now. Ah, I like it. <laughs>